More than the clothes we wear, style is about the way we move through the world. On this episode of Beyond Style Matters, I talk with the first black dean of design at any art school in the world, OCAD University's spirited Dean Dory Tunstall. If you're searching for a bright light during these dark times, look no further than the Instagram account of Dean Dory Tunstall, the cool and brilliant cultural anthropologist who heads up the design department of Toronto's OCAD University. Dory's eye-popping posts regularly feature the Dean wearing colorful and sometimes outlandish outfits that make for a most exuberant fashion show. And often, Dory is seen either dancing her butt off or working out with gusto. Not only does she provide delectable eye candy, but this lady's infectious optimism really does make you feel like anything's possible. Born in South Carolina and raised in Indiana, the 49-year-old Stanford-educated Dynamo credits the zeitgeist of the 70s for shaping who she became. And growing up on the heels of the 60s civil rights movement gave her an awareness of all the possibilities of what she could be as a black woman. Besides providing untold inspiration to art and design students, Dory's agenda revolves around the decolonization of design education and advocating for diversity and inclusion in the design field. Most impressively, Dory is all about authenticity and brings to the table a profound understanding of the power of fashion in our lives. Dory Tunstall. I'm so excited to have you on this episode of Beyond Style Matters. What a perfect guest you are. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you. You are style personified. I just, you know, I just drink you in every time I see you. Every time I I see your Instagram feed, it's like, ah, such such joy. When did you uh, start having this kind of, you know, awareness of the impact of sartorial uh, expression. <laughs> well, you, make it, you make it sound so grand, right? It's like, it's, it's choosing what I'm going to wear in the morning. <laughs> I come from a generation of very, uh, like multiple generations of very stylish women. I think, you know, being a, a racialized woman, uh, particularly in a position of like power and, and influence, you know, women are always judged by what they wear and how they look. And so there's two ways in which you can approach that. You can you can feel in some ways maybe victimized by that, or you can take control over it. And so I've I chose to take control over what I wear and the presentation of what I wear in a way to curate what's an important message for me, especially to sort of young people who might be looking up to me, although I'm really short, so they may not be looking up to me, um, but are looking for uh, inspiration and aspiration based on kind of the positions I've held in, in different communities. And so what do I want to communicate? I want to communicate authenticity. I want to communicate uh, the beauty of the craft of design. So this is why, you know, like I work with people like Host Couture. <laughs> um, I support young and emerging um, designers. I support artisans, you know, so I want to 
use the fact that I know as a racialized woman that people are going to be looking at me to convey important messages about what they should see, right? And what they should see in the world and what they should appreciate in the world. Well, interesting that you can use uh, that talent of yours as, as that kind of a, a powerful tool and you know, ultimately a tool for communication, which mm-hmm. we all should be doing probably a better job of, <laughs> especially these days. Okay, so let's just talk about these days for a minute. I don't want to dwell on too much. Uh, <laughs> but these days, a lot of people are um, lamenting the fact that there is no excuse to dress up. There's no reason to dress up anymore. I mean, I honestly tell you, I went into my closet the other day at my city house and I know this sounds so corny and creepy and maudlin, but I actually started crying a bit because I was so sad that all these beautiful old friends, and that's how I think of some of my cherished garments and and accessories, uh, they didn't have an excuse to come out of the closet anymore. Yeah. Which is crazy because ultimately, according to you, I think you would say, "Well, just invite them out of the closet, put them <laughs> out there, and 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 celebrate them, and celebrate yourself." You know, why do you need an occasion to do? So? <laughs> you know, like I do dress based on mood a lot of times, and you know, again, and I have some very beautiful clothing that is very quite meaningful for me. And so sometimes I might, like today, I almost made the decision. It's like, what do I want to wear with my velvet top, which is supposed to be, again, sort of more my um, my ode to luxury leisure wear, which is part of the, you know, the, the context of COVID-19, right? But I'll wear it with my tool skirt, maybe that's <laughs> because it's like the beginning of the semester you know like there's a new sense of energy that I need to bring to it there's a little bit of celebratory aspect of it so you know should I wear should I wear my tool skirt right uh, as part of it but what I think is especially brilliant about that is that this is something a garment that we're talking about that goes from the waist down everyone's just talking about it's all about the shoulder detail. It's all about the collar, you know, but here you are still, you know, even though you're conducting all your lectures, I suppose, or your classes on Zoom, you're still concerned about what you're wearing on the bottom half, which is so cute. What's what's going, what's happening on the shoulders are for other people, but what the rest of what I'm wearing is for me. And so it's about how I want to feel. I dress for me right? I dress for me. I dress for my mood. I dress for my comfort. I dress about what I need to express sometimes about what's going on in the world today, right? But I share in what I'm wearing and the style I have with other people, mostly so that they have the permission, I think have the permission to um, to dress as authentically as they can um, themselves, right? And and so um, so I dress for me and and what is authentic to me. And some days I feel like a princess, or some days I feel like I need to be a princess. So even though I may not feel it, I will put something on, and it'll remind me of what it means to be a princess, or it'll remind me of what it means to be a boss lady, or what is it reminds me to be, I don't know, anything that I need to feel that particular day, even if it's a gamer in a hoodie and sweatpants, right? Every great conversation needs a pause. So this is the perfect time to talk to you about our sponsor, TSC, who without their support, this podcast wouldn't be possible. 
Now, as you might know, I've covered the catwalks of Paris, Milan, New York, and London. And so you might ask, why have I partnered with a retailer like TSC, today's shopping choice? Well, I believe great fashion should be accessible to everyone. And TSC.ca is home to some amazing designers, wonderful Canadians like Brian Bailey, Kim Newport-Mimran of Pink Tartan fame, and Hilary McMillan, as well as quality brands like Lamarck and Ron White Shoes. It's one-stop shopping for everything you need to make your own style statement. And of course, TSC offers so much more than mere fashion. Shop tsc.ca and discover some great brands at some great prices. Now, you grew up in the 70s, which was a very heady time. I mean, I, I experienced the 70s as a young woman, but you were actually born in the 70s, so you were looking at it through the eyes of a, a little kid. What was that like? How, how did you perceive the, the times? Um, well, I mean, growing up in the 70s, and, and I was having actually a conversation around this around another project I was doing, like this was the age of really like Black is Beautiful. Um, so this was the big afros, the really, really short miniskirts, uh, the boots, which again, if you follow me, that is a deeply, deeply embedded part of my sense of style, right? Like that anytime I want to want to convey a sense of power, I generally am dressing in some homage to Pam Greer as, you know, Foxy Brown. <laughs> so for me, you know, I grew up with a sense of like, Black is beautiful, that my natural hair is something to be celebrated, that you can be sexy and strong, right? This is, these are the images that came out of like, again, um, Pam Greer and the black exploitation films, which is what I sort of grew up on, that you can be sexy and strong, like you can kick butt, literally, and still wear a gown <laughs> and be walking to a party um, and bring social justice. So I think <laughs> I'm like the 21st century version of Pam Greer <laughs> and black exploitation films. And that's, uh, coming up in the 70s in in the Midwest of of the United States, that's a deep sense, that deep sense of like the possibilities of what you could be as a Black woman and that openness, all the possibilities of what you can be as a Black woman. I was born into that, right? Like I was born into that with the assumption that I could be anything, right? That I could I could be sexy and strong and empowered and fight for justice for my community. And that's never left me and it's never left the way I think about style and how I dress. Mm. But the pursuit of academia to the degree that you, I mean, you're, you're a PhD, you've, you've really scaled the heights of that arena. Um, obviously a big brain, but what, what was it about your, your passion that, that made you want to devour all that information, digest it, and put it out there again for us? <laughs> my study, like my background of study is in anthropology, which means I'm just interested in people across time and space and culture, right? And I, what I've done is that I've used design as a way to think about that expression of who we are as people across culture and space. So for me, my intellectual interest is in people and how they work and how they represent themselves. You know, I've worked in high-tech consulting. I've worked in integrated media. I work in education. <laughs> I've worked in policy. All of those things, what connects all of those things is my interest in like how people work, 
how they can work together in order to make a more just world. Like that hasn't changed. My family says that hasn't changed since I was the age of six and I could put some version of that um, into articulation. The studying helps me understand people better. That's why I studied anthropology and I understand people around time and space. So even in my interest in adornment, like you spend a tremendous amount of time in anthropology studying adornment because those are in many ways our um, first messages around how to read people. So if I wear my hair a particular way, it tells you I'm married or not married or available, right? If I wear a certain particular dress, it tells you what community I belong to, how long I've belonged to that community, and whether or not we are friends or foe um, when we see each other across the market. So my approach to style and fashion comes at a deep sense of anthropology, which is understanding people and understanding how adornment is a system of communication that we mm. give to people. And so, um, so it all comes together, right? the, the, the deep study, the application of that, um, and, and the, what I do, you know, as Dean of Design at OCAD University is, is help my students understand everything you make is a message and a communication that you're giving to other people. So think clearly, think um, in a very curatorial sense, what are the messages or the values that you are wanting to convey through the things that you make? and the experiences that you make possible to people. When someone comes up to you at a party or so, or, or <laughs> you see people on the street, are you constantly, you know, analyzing the messaging that they uh, make <laughs> to get out there via what they're wearing? Um, I, I I wish in some ways I didn't do that as readily. <laughs> Because there's a certain aspect of that can that can move into the kind of snarky, right? So I try to keep it very open and generous, but I do I do read, right? Like I read what they're wearing, um, how they're wearing it, to what extent are they um, seeking to assimilate to a group or a crowd, or are they trying to sort of speak um, to their differences and their independence of like whatever modes that they're supposed to sort of follow. I look at the quality of the craft, not necessarily in a judgmental way of them. I'm the type of person, if you bring me to a store, doesn't matter what store, and I will select the thing that is the most, um, require the most intricacy and the most labor, right, in terms of craft. Also, most of the time, the most expensive thing in there. <laughs> <laughs> when I look at craft, I'm mostly looking at like to how much human interaction and engagement was required mm -hmm. in order to make this this thing manifest right mm -hmm. in the world. Right. And I have a great admiration for craft. Right. In that sense. And now more than ever, I would think a lot of us are becoming sensitized to the vital importance of craftsmanship and these beautiful handmade things and that kind of human expression, human touch uh, that we've sort of, you know, distanced ourselves from in a way for a while. And that, you know, not, not the couture. I mean, I've, I've spent, you know, many years being able to appreciate that up close and personal, but for most people, you know, and, and you know, the whole advent of fast fashion really just almost destroyed that 
particular aspect of, of fashion. So now, how, how do you think we're going to be embracing it once again? Or uh, obviously, many of us have already started, but uh, mm-hmm. do you see a big movement uh, now towards the handcrafted, the art- artisanal uh, well, definitely because, you know, again, what a lot of people have been doing in their, um, so f- I say those who've had the luxury of having more downtime during sort of COVID-19, so who've not been like frontline workers and those sort of things, that um, they've been home making stuff, remaking <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. And so they've regained an appreciation for the time and energy it, it comes to, you know, embroider or to um, to repair, right? Because you before it's like, oh, I could just go down the street and get a new sweater inexpensively, right? And because a lot of our retail centers are, are closed, it's like, well, if I'm going to, re- where I have to repair it. And then I go to YouTube and I figure out how do I repair my sweater and then I try to find the materials and again not being able to have access to the material I might take something from another sweater to pull the yarn to be able to repair something that I want to wear and then in that time it has more meaning for me and so now because we've been um, socially distanced um, we're looking for more meaningfulness in the things that we are allowed to connect with that will manifest itself in the way in which we make decisions about the clothes that we wear and the things that we buy. Cause we're also learning like what we really need versus what we really don't really need. Right. And so those things that we decide we will need, we will choose more carefully. We will choose with a greater sense of meaning attached to them. And we will choose in some ways um, because of our ethical concerns. Cause the thing about a global pandemic is that you see instantly the interconnections that are what's happening in China has affected what happened in Italy, which affected what happened in the States, which affected what happened. So all of a sudden, these things that you see as separate and not related to you, the global pandemic has shown we are all interconnected. So that means you're paying more attention to what's happening in India or China or the United States, because it is actually directly impactful to you as well, which means in some cases, not all, but for many people, they will make more ethical choices around what they will buy and how they will buy it and where it comes from and how those people are impacted by what it is that they're consuming. Well, obviously it all results in, um, you know, hopefully us becoming better editors um, because mm-hmm. it becomes, you know, very curated collection of stuff then that you want to surround yourself with. But because you're involved in education and inspiring young talent, young designers to get out there and do their thing, do you ever worry that we're going to be looking at less stuff or just surround <laughs> ourselves with, but there will be maybe less jobs then for, you know, I, I always like to believe, well, the cream will rise to the top and those who are really great are going to get their messages out there anyway. But I sometimes worry about that. I mean, it's like what for so many years with fashion television, you know, we were celebrating this scene that just sort of kind of lost its steam, no question. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of a sudden I thought, oh, the schools are turning out all these kids who want to get into that fashion arena. But What's going to happen? There, there really aren't going to be that many jobs yeah, yeah. for them. Um, I mean, that's that's the concern of any educator. And and what we 
what we try to focus on, I think, at OCAD is that what we're we're not training you for a specific job. What we're training you to do is to learn to adapt and to be curious and to have confidence. Because again, um, the jobs of the future are the ones that they will create. So for us, it's to prepare them to be able to create the possibility of what they may do, as opposed to just to prepare them to enter a, a pre-existing industry, or um, even if they choose to enter an industry, to enter in, to to enter it in sort of like what is uh, the typical way, right? And I think the advantage of us being um, an art and design institution is that uh, we pay a lot of attention to to the ways in which they are posing the questions of the futures, not just providing solutions, right? That, that they're posing the new questions of, of what the world works or how a particular industry might work. And so they come in with an understanding that they may not be doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and they have to be, again, smart and curious and able to learn so that they're able to kind of adapt and pivot based on what their interests are and their values are and what it is that they really want to make possible in the world. Exactly. Yeah. What you're just really inspiring them to push forward, which is so great. I know a big passion for you right now and, and for so many people is the whole decolonization, mm-hmm. especially in this in the design world mm-hmm. and uh, to really open up uh, design um, education possibilities to people that may not you know realize that they had the right and, um, and, and the power to be mm-hmm. in those positions. Um, tell, tell me a little bit about that. When, when did that first start bubbling up in your soul? Like, when did that become such an important uh, arena for you? Um, I would say diversity and inclusion has always been important because in many ways, my presence in, in places, right, brings diversity and inclusion, right? So, you know, for many, many years, I would be the only, like, again, we talk about it, like the only Black person in the room for many, many, many years, right? And so for me, there was always my sort of thing is that whatever position I'm in, I need to make sure that I'm setting up structures that the next time this convening happens, I'm not the only person in the room, that I've done something to bring other people into the room. Um, In terms of decolonization, like I worked in Australia from 2009 to 2015. Um, And they had a much stronger, very strong rhetoric around decolonization. You had very strong practices um, around reconciliation action plans that every institution had to go through. So for me, that that was the raising of my consciousness in terms of like, not just diversity and inclusion, which you mean bringing diverse perspectives into institutions, but also in terms of like decolonization, meaning you need to actually dismantle many of those institutions in order to really bring about true inclusion. So because of that experience that I had in Australia, where um, they're working really closely with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, we built uh, an indigenous knowledge specialization into our masters of design program 
that, you know, many of um, many people we gave indigenous members of the community, we gave like teaching positions to and mentored them in teaching so that they could be teaching the classes around indigenous knowledge um, and indigenous uh, ways of being as it relates to design. So all of that experience that I gained on how to do that working in the Australian context and with the Bunarong and uh, Wiradjuri communities, um, I then brought to OCAD so that our transformation at OCAD has been possible in its acceleration because every time someone would say that's not possible, I'm like, actually we did this in Australia. This is what it looks like. This is how it could be done. And so we've been able to accelerate the process at OCAD, making those movements towards true decolonization uh, within, within especially a design context. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you are the, uh, the first uh, female, okay, female, that, that's great in itself, but even the first black dean of a design school in North America. In I mean, the world. That, in, in the, the world. world. In the world. In the world. In the world. <laughs> I mean, that's a weighty responsibility, I'd say. I mean, that's, it, it, you know, it's just a wow. How daunting is that uh, mantle for you to wear? I mean, is it, does it feel like, because you, you do, I guess, have such a responsibility. People expect things now of you. Well, it, it's not. It's not daunting in the sense that, like, again, you know, many, many times I've been the only one in the room. So I already know what it means to carry to carry my community with me. And carrying my community is not a burden. It's a joy for me to carry my community with me. It's, I guess, the dauntingness only comes that because I'm in, in the position I am, I am required to take greater risk in order to make things change because I'm actually in the position to do so. (laughs) Every time I take a risk, I open up more possibilities for others to enter into that space. You obviously speculate a lot about the future. We all uh, are doing that these days. How how bright do do things look to you beyond uh, this current situation? I mean, even in terms of how we are going to embrace you know, the fashion once again and dressing mm-hmm. up and where that whole industry might be going as a result of what we've just been through. It's always the best of times and the worst of times. And that's where kind of where we always are. I think with fashion, what I'm excited about is again, the movements towards zero waste. I'm excited about, again, the refocus on um, craft and artistry. I'm excited about some of the the um, experimentations in um, materials sort of tie to, in some ways, I think like like the biomimicry <laughs> movement, um, but figuring out how to do that to scale. And for me, what's really wonderful is like that connects to things like you know the 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 resurgence I'm happening like right now around indigenous fashion. So Sage Paul's work with indigenous fashion week, you know, like, and I'm following all these artisans around, like, again, the use of uh, seal skin. I'm following this week, like people are uh, reconnecting to the use of fish skin, fish skin leather. Right. And so there's all these exciting things that are going on about the materials that we use itself, which is both on one hand, high tech, on the other hand, very much grounded in sort of like traditional practices, which now seem more high tech because we've moved away from them. 
So all of these things are kind of coming together in ways that, like I said, open up different possibilities for what fashion is and fashion will mean. The the loss of fashion seasons, I mean, that's one thing I'm very eager to see go away because it just doesn't make any logical sense to me. <laughs> um, but, or even things like, you know, like how we rethink the fashion show where now we have the digital fashion shows that are happening. Um, we have, you know, I think of the work that Pierre Moss did where like we have fashion movies that are happening. So the, the innovations that I think that people are bringing in response to the constrictions of COVID-19, um, that those innovations will carry forward, right? In ways that I think, again, we've changed our expectations of what the fashion world is supposed to be and how it's supposed to operate. Again, people still will, we still, as humans, we still require clothing. So that's not going to go away. Thank um, God. Right, yeah. Uh, but, you know, everyone's just saying, you know, we're headed towards this age of the sweatsuit. You know, all people are just. But, you know, I've been, again, I'm, I'm technically modeling a sweatsuit. It just happens to be made out of silk velvet. <laughs> and it happens to be made by host couture. So it, it is perfectly fitted to my body for optimized comfort. Right. Um, so even within that genre of like what is leisure wear, you know, again, there that it's, it's just a form of expression. Right. And, and again, as, because I would say being close to black culture, which is being close to hip hop culture and anything is like the things that you can do with sweatshoots. (laughs) (laughs) I come from a culture that we do some pretty amazing things as a form of self-expression with yeah. just the plain sweatsuit, right? Well, you are such a bright light, Dory. You are, I, you just, you know, you make my heart smile uh, and my brain smile and, and you really bring so much to uh, to the design scene, not only in this country, but certainly internationally. We're been a delight talking with you, Dean Dory Tunstall. Thanks for listening. To see video versions of the podcasts, check out tsc.ca slash style matters. You can watch Style Matters Thursday on TSC or on the tsc.ca website. New episodes of Beyond Style Matters will be coming at you every Monday. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker.